If you would, take your Bibles with me tonight. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. The pastor was a little, a little shook up today. He, he couldn't get a, uh, an internet connection at Clarissa's house, and so he used the world of great technology to connect to his computer right here in his office. And he tried to do so, and our internet connection was also down, and he was pretty shook up there for a little while. Uh, so Mr. Andrews is hiding right now, but he's going to have to fix that. pastor said, you make sure Jim gets that fixed right away. So Jim's got a job to do. Uh, but you pray for pastor as he travels back, and, and uh, pray that the Lord will give him the mercy to arrive safely and uh, quickly. All right, let's look at First Peter chapter 1. If you would, stand with me uh, as we read. From 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 11 through 16. If you will read silently as I read. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed uh, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Holy Spirit of God, as we gather now around the Word of God, I pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct our hearts and minds, that you would strengthen us, and that you would lead us where we should go. Thank you for your blessings upon us, and we yield ourselves now to your guidance and your leadership. Father, thank you once again for this time together. Thank you for all those that have come out tonight. And I pray that their time would not be wasted, that you would speak to their hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this subject of be ye holy, as we look at verse number 16, we see, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And here we are, we are given a command, we're given a directive uh, by God to be holy. Now the definition of holy is perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. Now if the command given us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 is to be perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character, we are in trouble tonight. We're all in very big trouble. We do not need to be theologians tonight to know that the command given us by Peter cannot be translated to mean that we are to be perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. For we know that that is not possible for man. In Genesis uh, chapter 6 and verse 5, we see the scripture, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And here we, we see the condition of the heart of man. You and I tonight, as we sit here, we are depraved. We are sinful men and women. Uh, of course, one might argue, yes, that was me. 
Uh, but that was before I got saved. But now I am a new creature. Now I'm a, I'm a new person. Therefore, I'm not that old man with, with the old uh, sinful heart and the old wicked nature. Well, what about Paul's address to this issue? In Romans chapter 7, in verse 18, Paul states, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And here Paul says, there is nothing good in me. I'm just the same old wicked man I was before I got saved. Now remember this, please. Our salvation has not eradicated our flesh. Our flesh still lives. We still abide in sinful, depraved, and corrupted bodies. Therefore, it is impossible. I say impossible for you and I to be holy by the definition that we read earlier. It is impossible for me to be perfectly pure. It is impossible for me today to be immaculate and complete in moral character. I cannot, in my flesh, satisfy this expectation. Yet, still, we are commanded to be holy. We read it just a moment ago. All of us read in in verse 16, Be ye holy... For I am holy. But how can we do this? How can we accomplish this? Why would God command us to do what we cannot do? To be what we cannot be? And the answer to that question is found in Scripture. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Let's all turn together. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to read from verses, beginning at verse 16 through verse 26. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now this scripture probably sounds real familiar to the young people sitting over here because I preached a message this morning from this in chapel. And he said unto them, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things 
are possible. Here we see a young man who is doing his best to be holy. He is, in his mind, perfectly following the law, which he believes will make him perfect in the sight of God. But I ask you tonight, is this correct? Are his assumptions correct? Is he made perfect in the sight of God by attempting to to, to keep the law, to, to follow the law? I fear that far too many of our, of our Baptist brethren today, our, our, our Christian brethren, are walking down a dead-end road. So many, just like this young man, are trying to please the Lord. But they're trying to please the Lord by their works, by their attempts to make themselves holy, and, and doing so by their doing and not doing of things. Far too many people believe that, that by not doing things, they're more holy than others. Dressing a certain way, listening to certain music, ritualistically performing certain duties, and all the while in their hearts, they are as dead men before God. In Matthew chapter 23, in the 27th and 28th verse, Jesus is quoted as saying, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And such is the case of so many good people today. I'm not trying to hammer on people. I'm not trying to say there's a bunch of bad people out there. I'm simply saying there's a lot of people that misunderstand God's directive in 1 Peter 1.16, and they're going about trying to make themselves morally pure and perfect by, by, their, by their doing and not doing of things. We are no more holy because of the clothes we're wearing. We're no no more holy because of the music we listen to, we train ourselves to listen to. These are important things now, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I believe that as God's children, we should dress right, listen to the right music, go to the right places, associate with the right people, do the right thing. I believe all of that. But can I tell you something? If you're doing that to please the Lord, you've missed the point. Because that doesn't please the Lord. All of our works, the Bible tells us, are as filthy rags unto God. There is nothing we can do that pleases the Lord. Yet again, we are commanded to be holy. So how are we going to accomplish this? How are we, which are sinful, going to be able to live holy? Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you the answer. We can't. That's the answer can't do it. Because if you, take, if you spend 20 years doing all the right things and wake up one day and mess up, you fail. Because the definition of holy is pure and complete. And we can't be that. As much as we may want to be, we cannot be. We can't. So what happens? 
Well, I got news for you. You ready for this one? You're already holy. All of you sitting here today. You're holy. You were made holy by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You were made holy as the elect of God. Holiness in the sight of God, you and I being holy, is a byproduct of regeneration. A byproduct of the, of the rebirth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, some verses we are very familiar with. We read, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You are holy today. We are made holy, perfect, in God's sight upon salvation. So then, if we are holy by the work of Christ, and there's no argument in that, by the way, if we are made holy by the work of Christ on the cross, then what is Peter talking about when he tells us to be holy? Now, the word used in this scripture... For holy is the Greek word hagios. This word has three separate implications in its definition. It is these that Peter is admonishing us to fulfill. When he tells us, be ye holy, he's using the the Greek word hagios, which has three implications. What are they? Let me share these with you as we attempt to close this message in 20 minutes. You believe that? Number one, to be holy is to be clean. To be holy is to be clean. In Psalm 24, we read verses 3 through 5. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. One of the implications of the word hagios, which is the word pure used here in 1 Peter, is to be clean. And we see in verse 4 of the scripture we just read, the phrase clean hands. Now this is not to be misinterpreted to imply sinlessness. Rather, it is the result of the second phrase in the list, a pure heart. Upon salvation, you and I We're made holy in the sight of God because we are enabled to make ourselves holy. And we have been given by the Lord a pure heart as Christians. And it is that pure heart that we may call a conscious that convicts us 
and pricks us in our heart when we've done wrong and causes us to come before the Lord and seek cleansing from the Lord. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, we read, Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now, particularly in this verse, the Lord is talking about, he's answering the Pharisees for accusing uh, his disciples of not washing their hands before they eat. And the Lord is telling these wicked Pharisees, listen, it's not what you put in that defiles you, it's what's coming out that's defiling you. And folks, it doesn't, it's not the clothes we're wearing. It's not the music we're listening to. Those aren't the things that are defiling our, uh, God's people. It's the things that are issuing forth from their hearts. And we must remember that we have been given by God a pure heart, a conscience to, to help us, a Holy Spirit to convict us when we sin. And when we sin, uh, we, to, in order to, to fulfill this, this uh, admonition of Peter, to be holy, when we sin, we come before the Lord and we ask forgiveness and we seek cleansing. The cleanliness of our walk as believers will be determined by our heart. This is why the emphasis needs to be placed on the hidden things of the Christian life. Listen, young people, if you get what's in here right, what's out here will be right. You, don't, you know what? You can try to dress any kind of way you want to dress, but if, if inside, if you're not right in here, it doesn't matter what you look like out here. Because God isn't looking out here. <laughs> He's looking in here. And if we get the inside right, the outside is going to be right by default. Amen? So the emphasis shouldn't be placed on the external. It should be placed on the internal. And we need to understand that the internal is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there. He leads us into all truth, as we've been studying in our Sunday school class. The Holy Spirit never leads us into error. He never leads us into false, falsehoods. He always leads us into truth. Oh, yes. We must focus on the inside. What do we focus on? What should you young people focus on getting right? Well, you should work on getting prayer right. Prayer should be one of our focal points. Philippians 4, chapter 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's focus on prayer. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our country. I, 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 was, I was sitting here listening to Brother Tabor pray a few moments ago, and, and he, he prayed for... He prayed for God's will to be done in the election. Now, I'm not sure that's possible in this election, given our choices. I'm not sure that God has his will involved in that at all. But anyway, I'm joking. But we need to learn to pray. You know, if we pray effectually, oh, it'll make such a difference in our lives. We won't have time to worry about what the person next to us is wearing or what they're listening to on their car radio 
or where they went last night, if we're involved in prayer, we won't have time to worry about all those things. Hey, let's focus on not only prayer, but secondly, how about meditation? That would be the Word of God. Psalms chapter 1 and verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. God's word is there to guide us through the dark times in our life. Job chapter 23 and verse 12, Job states, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And we should focus our life on prayer. We should focus our our hearts on meditation upon the word of God. Number three, doctrine. That's a good thing to focus our attention on. Doctrine. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. How about focusing on doctrine? That being the truth of the word of God. How about focusing, number four, on love? Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. You know, if we just stopped worrying about getting the outside right, and if we start worrying about getting the inside right, I guarantee you the outside is going to follow. When I got saved, I, had, I, I, would have been, I would have been a fundamentalist nightmare when I got saved. I mean, I didn't look very, very, very... I, you wouldn't have wanted me on the platform when I got saved. But as I sat and he- heard preaching and as I studied the Word of God, as I learned to pray and to meditate upon God's Word and focus myself in doctrine and learn to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I did those things, one by one, the Lord began to peel away all the, all the stuff in my life that shouldn't be there. And one day, he, he had me right where he wanted me to be. And you know what, folks? Uh, we, we, we're wasting our time trying to be holy by making the outside look right. God says, you let me worry about that. You just, you just concentrate on these things inside. You follow that pure heart that you were given at salvation. You yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and His leadership and guidance, and everything else is going to take care of itself. Problem is, we've got a bunch of churches across America with compromised doctrines. And people aren't what they ought to be inside, so they're not what they ought to be outside either. And too many are trying to make the outside, trying to make it look right, while the inside is just a mess. The emphasis should be placed on the internal things of the believer, the hidden things that only God in you sees. For when these things are right, then we will dress right, speak right, and live right. So to be holy, with the implication from Peter, to be holy first is to be clean in our hearts and minds. Then secondly, let me say this, the second implication of the Greek word hagios is to be committed. So to be holy is to be committed. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, we read, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Now, to be committed means to give in trust or to put into the hands or power of another. But the problem here, I believe, is that most people have the wrong opinion of what a commitment is. Let me, let me give you a couple of things it's not. Commitment is not dedication. Dedication is the act of binding yourself to a course of action. That's not commitment. Also, commitment is not abnegation. What is abnegation? Abnegation is the renunciation of your own interests in favor of the interests of others. And most people are going, running around this country thinking that they're committed because they're tying themselves down to something or they're denying themselves what they want to do for something else. But what is commitment? Well, commitment is surrender. It is to relinquish the control over our life and place it in the hands of our Lord and Savior. That is what commitment to God is. Commitment is not giving up some other activity on Sunday in lieu of going to church. That's not commitment. Commitment is not tithing because you know that God will bless you for doing so. That is not commitment. Commitment is not praying because that is what you are expected to do. Commitment is not fulfilling some duty or obligation. Commitment is acknowledging God's sovereign right to all that I am and all that I do. It is being where I need to be and doing what I need to do because God has given me the desire to do so. It is He that has put the love for church in my heart. I didn't love church. I couldn't stand church. You couldn't, you couldn't pay me to go to church. Now you couldn't pay me to not go to church. But it isn't anything I did. <laughs> See? It's the Lord that did that to me. God messed me up. <laughs> and he messed me up for the good. Oh, yeah. After, on November 29th, 1981, I got saved. And you know what? All of a sudden, I wanted to go to church. I didn't have to go. I wanted to go. I couldn't wait for Sunday. And then when I found out they had church on Wednesday, I was really excited. I mean, I get to go on Wednesday and Sunday? I get to go three times on Sunday and one time on Wednesday. Yeehaw! Listen, if, 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 we, if we started having church every day, it wouldn't bother me. I'm here anyway. <laughs> See, commitment isn't, oh, I got to go. We have to go to church, kids. We're committed. We have to go to church. We'll go to the races after church. Right after church is over, we'll jump in the car and we'll run over to the races. But we're committed, so we're going to go to church. Oh, I don't care what's happening on Sunday. I don't care what's happening anywhere on the face of the earth on Sunday. I'll never go to a football game on Sunday. You can give me free tickets to the Super Bowl. I'll give them away. Because you know where I want to be every Sunday? Right here. I want to be right here every Sunday. Commitment isn't doing what we have to do. It's doing what we get to do. 
God has given me the desire. It is He that has put the love for church in my heart. It is He that has caused me to understand and receive the truth of Scripture. It is He that has enabled me to believe and have the faith to live for Him. I don't do that because I'm smart and can learn it. It's He that gives it to me. He gives me the commitment. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. You see, I'm already holy. I don't have to do anything to be holy, because I'm already holy in God's sight. And I will be holy until the day of redemption in His sight, because that's His work, not mine. But I'm commanded to be hagios, I'm commanded to be clean. I'm commanded to be committed. I'm not in church tonight because I have to be. I'm in church tonight because I want to be. And I want to be here because God has given me the desire to be here. God has changed my vile mind and given me the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul reminds us, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And it is this mind that enables me to do the things I ought to do. Not my own conscious will, but the overwhelming power of Christ that constrains me to live for Him. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. To be holy is to be committed to surrender all that we are and all that we want to be, to give the control of our life to Christ, obeying His every command, submitting to His will for us, living our life not for ourselves, but for His glory. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's Paul's commitment. Paul said, God has, has, has quickened my dead soul. He's given me eternal life. He has given me righteousness. He's made me holy. He's given me the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to convict my sinful heart and to lead me in the right direction. And Paul says, oh, now when I, when I submit myself and yield myself to the direction of God, for me to live is Christ. Oh, yes. We are holy. But we are to be hagios. We're to be clean. We're to be committed. And then thirdly, to to be holy is to be consecrated. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, "For for, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Herein again again lies an error of so many believers. The belief that we are able to consecrate ourselves to God. And this, of course, would be the work of sanctification. 
You know, the doctrines of sanctification are some of the most mistaught when they are taught doctrines in, in, in our faith. What makes us believe that we are able to sanctify our hearts and minds and make them fit for God's use? What possibly would make you think that? If you were able to sanctify your heart and mind and make it fit for God's use, then you didn't need a Savior. Because you could have saved yourself. You know, sanctification is not our work. Psalms 4. Psalms chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. The Lord himself has done the work of sanctification. Your sanctification is the work of the Trinity. And I'll prove it to you. In the book of Jude, verse 1, we read, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. These three verses show us, without denial, that the work of sanctifying believers is the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We cannot and we will not ever make ourselves fit for God's use. But we are admonished by Peter. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, obviously, as we have already determined, this cannot imply that we are able to make our own hearts usable to God. So what does it mean? How can we sanctify our hearts? Let me share three thoughts with you and we'll be done. Number one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now I can't, I can't make my heart and mind usable to God, but I can keep my heart and mind tender to God, tender to the call and the, and the, and the working of the Holy Spirit when I fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord means to honor and respect God. It's hard to honor and respect God when we're robbing from Him, when we're laying out a church, when we're disobeying Him. It's hard to fear God. It's hard to honor and respect the Lord. My children, if, if they wanted to show me respect, then they obey me, right? You, you parents. Your kids can do nothing better to show you their respect than to do what you say, to obey you. And that's what we must do. Respect, honor, praise, and worship God. What else can we do 
to keep our hearts tender to the, to the, to the admonitions, to the leadings of the Holy Spirit in our life. Well, secondly, we can separate from the world. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Separate from the world. Can I tell you something? And I'm as guilty of, of this as everybody else, but let me tell you something. We have, be, we have, we, we have betrayed the younger people in this country. We've embraced the world. We've embraced philosophies of the world, even as Christians. We've, we've embraced some of the things of this world. And what we've done is we failed to take a stand that these young people can see. I work with these young people seven hours a day. These are good kids. But I see little things in some of them that are going to give them trouble down the road. And it's because you and I, as their parents, have failed to separate ourselves from this world. Jesus prayed that the Father would protect us, knowing that we must be in the world, but praying that we would not be of the world. But unfortunately, I I, I fear that we've become of the world. In some areas of our life, we've allowed little things to creep in that shouldn't be there. And our children see those things, and as they grow older, trust me, they will always push that envelope a little further than their parents did. You know, my daddy always told me, son, face up to your troubles. Don't hide from them. And you and I, as Christians in America today, we, the adults, have to face the fact that we have not been faithful to God as we should be, no matter how much we want to think we have been. Because had we been faithful to God in America, we wouldn't be trying to decide between Obama and McCain in November. The number one and the number three liberals in the country. We have failed. And until we fess up, and face up, we're going to just see generation after generation after generation fall short. We must separate from the world. James chapter 4 and verse 4, James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the camp of God's enemies. I don't want to even be considered an enemy of God. So if we, if we want to, 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 to make our hearts tender to the Lord, we must fear the Lord. We must separate from the world. And then lastly, we must serve him in truth. 1 Samuel twelve twenty four. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. This, simply put, is to serve God without any ulterior motive. Not for gain, not for recognition, not even for self-gratification. Simply serving God because we are His servants. Serving God because He is worthy. Serving God and expecting nothing in return. Serving God with the intent to bring glory to His name. Be ye holy as he is holy. This does not imply that we're to strive for perfection. 
we are already holy. In the eyes of God, we were made holy upon salvation. If we weren't made holy upon salvation, the Lord could not and would not receive us. We're already holy in the term of being perfect and being completely and morally, morally whole. We're holy already. That was the work of Jesus on the cross. You are an holy nation, a holy people. But Peter says, be ye hagios, for he is hagios. Be ye clean. Be ye committed. As God is committed to you and I, let us be committed to him. Be ye consecrated. Live clean lives, concentrating on the hidden man. Live committed lives, surrendering our will to him. And live consecrated lives, dedicated to honor, serve, and glorify the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I know, Lord, I I didn't do this, this message the justice it needs. Father, we love you so much. And I'm overwhelmed, Lord, when I stop to think about the fact that you you have made me holy in your sight. And now, Lord, I I pray that you would give me the strength to do that, which Peter has, by your inspiration, has commanded us to do, that we would be hagios, that we would be clean, committed, consecrated in our lives unto you. Oh, Lord, give us strength. Help our weaknesses. Holy Spirit of God, lead us. Show us plainly the path that God has laid before us. Strengthen our church as a family of believers. Help us to love one another, to to serve together in this place. Help us to do those things that glorify Your name and honor You. For You are worthy of all honor and all praise and all worship. Thank you for this time we had together tonight. I pray you'd bless the remaining time we have and the fellowship we will share. And I pray that all that we do in this place would exalt the name of Christ and glorify you in all things. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things as we tarry till you come again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.